so as you'll see up on the screen, uh, reading from Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5, uh, starting at verse 8, in the uh, blue uh, Bibles, it's on page 665. If you see the poor oppressed in a district, and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a a labourer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and everyone comes so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness, with great frustration, affliction and anger. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labour under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. Hi everyone, good to be with you. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your word. We give you great thanks that we can come together on this beautiful morning and consider life. We're searching for meaning in Ecclesiastes, Lord, and it's kind of a mist, hard to find. Help us to see with clarity life in your Son again this morning. Amen. There is a, a simple outline um, in, in, the, in the bulletin again this, this week. Uh, basically, I'm spending most of my time in the glitch to the system of life. And then that last bit is the application, uh, which I think we really do need to ponder a fair bit uh, as I found those thoughts challenging. Now, my idea for today is because life doesn't seem to make sense. It just doesn't make sense a lot of the time. Sometimes it does. But the idea for today is that there is a glitch in the system of life. It doesn't always work out how it should. It seems unfair and random. As we kicked off with the series, as we looked at the beginning and the end, and the end and the whole point of everything you head towards is the fear of the Lord, living in the fear of the Lord doesn't guarantee a better outcome. While it's the right thing to do, and good for you. We need to live knowing we're not in control. And that's the idea, the kind of statement that we're kind of considering as Ecclesiastes brings this up before us today. So what we've been doing in January is searching for the meaning of life. Another way of putting it is what does it mean to live well in this world? And the Bible has three books that are particularly focused 
on that. How do you live well in this world? The book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Job. And Proverbs, which uh, the more and more I look at Ecclesiastes, I feel like we've got to get to Proverbs uh, sooner than later. Proverbs, you can kind of depict it as like a wise teacher, someone who's pursuing wisdom, woven into reality and seeing when you apply this wisdom, here is the successful outcome. This kind of a cause and effect, that's Proverbs. Let me just give you one quick snippet. If you've got a Bible there, it might be helpful for you uh, to look in Ecclesiastes as we look at a few parts. But in the beginning of Proverbs chapter 1, verse 32... For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. It's very simple. You're like this, this happens. You're like this, this happens. Listen, safety. Fool, disaster. And, and when you get to all the Proverbs in later on in the, in the book of Proverbs, you see that very kind of simple cause and effect. And you can see that in life. There's great wisdom to that. It makes a lot of sense. But Ecclesiastes is part of this thinking about what does it mean to live well. And Ecclesiastes is bringing out the point that it doesn't always work out that way. It doesn't always happen like that. And if you've been here the other weeks, let me remind you, and if you're not, to try and quickly help you, you know, come up to speed, we're seeing Ecclesiastes as a guy who's critiquing the world. He's the main voice of the story who says that everything is meaningless, which we narrowed in on being the, the Hebrew word hevel. And hold that word hevel there, as we have talked about previously, and we'll get back to it. This guy is critiquing everything, but he's not the author. There's an author that introduces the book, who collates all of this uh, critiquer, this guy who's very kind of cynical on the world, collates all his views, puts them together, and then the author comes back at the end of the book, summarises and gets the final word on Ecclesiastes. Why does he talk? Why does he get this critiquer, this critic to come, along, come on board? Because he wants to turn the world upside down and our view of the world. And we're seeing that over three specific little things as we uh, dip into Ecclesiastes. Last week, as our uh, speaker Derek talked about time and the tyranny of time, that time marches on. You can't avoid time and time comes and it goes. and Everything disappears. And next week, we'll focus in on death. We can't avoid death. And death is a problem. So in between these two, we have this idea already introduced to us that life has this random nature to it. That Ecclesiastes, uh, that Proverbs doesn't always seem to make clear sense. Life doesn't always work that way. Let me show you what, what, I, what I'm talking about uh, by Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 11 to 12. Come with me to 11, uh, to chapter 9. Let's have a look at that. As I pull out my words. Ecclesi Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. I have seen something else under the sun. 
So he's looking under the sun, that phrase he uses all the time through Ecclesiastes, say, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm seeing. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. He's saying, in some ways he's saying, take this Proverbs. He's saying, the fast don't always win the race. Those who are supposed to win the battle, those with all the might and the power, no, they don't always win. The wise, sometimes they're hungry. The brilliant, well, sometimes the brilliant are just dirt poor. Time and chance happen to them all. There is this sense in which two people with the same scenario have a very different outcome in their life. A very different outcome. And it sums up where we're going to spend a lot of our time next week in verse 12. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish, and then he gives a great illustration. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare. So people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. You can do everything right. You can be the most honourable person. You can do everything your boss expects of you. Treat your family with the most honour and love and care that you possibly can. And then evil that is out of your control takes it all away from you. That happens. It happens all over the world throughout the generations. And the critics making the point, this takes us to my main kind of thesis. It is all hevel, meaningless, meaningless. This is the problem. 38 times he says it's hevel, it's meaningless. And we talked about in the first week that that idea of meaningless isn't exactly the most helpful word. We don't kind of have the right English word for it. It's not that there's no meaning. It's that meaning's hard to grab onto. It's like a mist or vapor. That's what we're seeing. He's saying life just doesn't make sense because of this kind of break in the system, this glitch that means Proverbs doesn't always work out perfectly. It means that it's kind of an enigma. And the idea that life has these random moments, that there's this chance that two people with the same scenarios end up with very different outcomes, really highlights that. I wonder whether you can think of those times in your life. Or if you can think of someone else and you look at them and you think, why have they got that and I don't have that because we're exactly the same? You see, the reality is, and here's a big point, I think, you can't really control anything. 
Let's think about that in five categories. Security. When we die, our honour or fame or being respected, being bankrupt or wealthy, and our health or lack of it. Do we really have control over those things? I don't think we do. You can want all the security in the world. You can set up your home with all the best alarms, with the best deadbolts, with everything, that offence around it. And yet, sometimes people still break in. In war zones, are there houses with locks on doors? Are there houses with uh, fences up, with alarms on? And when a bomb comes by and blows it up, do they work? They don't. Security is, as hard as we try, is really hard to attain. And we're feeling that more and more in the Western world, whereas maybe 10, 15 years ago, we felt a lot more secure than we are now because there's a randomness to the current world issues that was a little bit different to the way war used to feel, as horrible and as random and as, as wicked as any war is. Kind of the new perspective is we don't know where terror is going to strike. It could happen anywhere at any time. And security now becomes a massive talking point in the media. We're all talking about security all the time because we actually really are trying to attain it and we're all in denial that we can't have it. When we die, I just want to bring that up as we'll deal with that next week. But if you just think of war, Two brothers in arms fighting together and a bullet takes out one and misses the other. There's no control. You read any uh, histories of World War and World War I, reading about Kokoda as I had a bit, and many of, the, of uh, people who have served us in war, they come back home thinking, why did I survive? The randomness of that, the futility. What about honour and fame? Now, let's get a little bit more lighthearted on this one. Honour and fame. Do we really think that reality TV, those that actually make it are the only ones that could have done it? Do we really think One Direction were the only guys who could have been One Direction? They could have picked out a whole bunch of random people who could sing like them and have the charisma like them kind of look in the way they needed them to look to pull it off. They were the ones who got the fortune. Wanting that fame, wanting that reality. Do we really think that we attain it? How many people are desperate for a moment, 15 minutes of fame in reality TV? How much reality TV is there? How many of them can you remember? We went to uh, uh, Poe's restaurant last Friday night and it was fantastic in the Central Markets. It was a great time. And I think it was the first MasterChef. She came second and we got talking about who was one MasterChef? No, I had no idea. And then we, you know, you can Google it. So we looked at it all up and all these faces and I'm like, know him, don't know him, random. For 15 minutes, all of those people, everyone was talking about them. Gone. Some of them last a bit longer. What about your money? 
those who are bankrupt and those who are wealthy. Well, let, let's actually use this one as a case study as uh, I just wanted to pick one from uh, Ecclesiastes and that's the reading we had today in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Go back there. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Let's break it down a little bit. Verse 8. If you see the poor, uh, if you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and, and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. Don't be surprised by injustice. There's injustice because everything isn't cause and effect. Everything isn't fair. Everyone doesn't get the money that they deserve. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are, are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all, and the king himself profits from the fields. The critic knows that ultimately kings take the money, and often they do it in dodgy means, and so those who should be wealthy aren't. What about verse 10? Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. It's unattainable you don't find meaning in wealth there's so much that ecclesiastes talks about in money and wealth that it's worth pondering it's all through it but he sees saying even when you've got it those that are on the wealthy side they don't have it because it consumes them they're never satisfied with their income how much money do you want Ten thousand more than you're currently earning read on verse 11 as goods increase so do those who consume them and what benefit are, are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them the sleep of a laborer is sweet whether they eat a little or much but as for the rich their abundance permits them no sleep money gives no control it consumes they've got all the money they've got everything that they should want but what happens no sleep I need to make sure I keep it. I need to make sure I get more. Then we get into 13 and 14 and really nailing in a bit further. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners or wealth lost through some misfortune. So that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. The randomness of wealth even if you have it it ends up being something you hoard and often it's lost by misfortune by unfortunate events you could do everything right financially you can be on top of your game you can go down every right path and then a financial crisis can hit and the little person who's raised, had got as much money as they possibly could loses it all because of the big wigs those who are hoarding because the problem of the little it's it's a mess you can't trust in money money is unpredictable and yet that's the thing we seek to want to attain what if you are owed money by your boss and they never pay you and yet sometimes when we're doing okay we can start to think you know it's because i've been wise and the other people haven't and it's worked out for me because of my brilliant investing or my great savings or the fact that I don't spend my money 
on lots of frivolous things or good things to do maybe wealth is random the critic says there are those who are misfortunate with their money and then the last one you've got illness you know some people who've never smoked get lung cancer some people who love being healthy who look after themselves have heart attacks and I can't figure out what I'm supposed to eat or not eat, whether I'm supposed to eat a little bit of chocolate or have one glass of red wine or one glass of white wine or not eat protein or eat protein or eat carbohydrates or sugar because it changes every week. Just look at the research. It, it goes on and on how you try and be healthy. Why? What's the desperation about trying to be so perfectly healthy? One, because it's a good thing to look after our bodies. But two, it's because we want to be in control of the one thing that we can have ourselves. And it helps us to deny next week issue of death. You cannot control your life. So the last little bit to add to that is, so stop trying. Maybe the only thing you can control right at this moment is your attitude. You can make a decision on how you're going to think about these things. How are you going to deal with them? As Derek talked about last week when we dealt with time, time marches on. You can enjoy the things that God has given in a right way. You can have a right attitude to things. So if life is random, there are these random moments. How do we apply all of this? I've got two points there on the outline. I want to just kind of frame it around something that Ecclesiastes says in chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember the Creator. See, when you get to the end of Ecclesiastes, you're not left thinking, well, life's random, there's no hope, what what else am I going to do? Turn up to chapter 12. See, when you get to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, having serious troubles flicking today for some random reason. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. What do we read? Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. I know for some of you that may be gone, but you can still remember Him. Keep coming. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the streets are closed and the sound of the grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and, and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about their streets. Remember Him. Remember there is actually a Creator, a God 
who is over it all. You see, before everything goes down the toilet, as we just kind of read, remember there is a God in which sees it all, the complexity of the world, of everything that's happening all at the same time, and none of it is random or chance to him. He holds it in his hands. He is in complete control of it all. Everything God knows about and understands, remember him. God has us in his hands. In, in chapter 9, verse 1, it says, his people he has in his hands in Ecclesiastes, as the critic kind of just sneaks that in. God knows everything. It seems random and chance to us and we can't figure it out and maybe we're not supposed to do some of these things. But God has us in his hands. He has us in his hands when his hands were nailed to the cross. When he gave up his hands and his whole life so that you and I can remember him forever into eternity. Where he gives us life, where all of this kind of hevel of this world will disappear. Where the vapour goes away and we can have life with God forever because he has everything in his hands and he's given his life to us. The critic does us a great service because he helps us see. We keep on bat, kind of fighting up against this idea of needing control. We need to take control of everything when we have none. And there's a creator who has all control. Who has given his life for you and I. You know, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. The creator who we remember creates in making us a new creation. You know that great uh, part of 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians 5.17 Though we once regarded Christ in a worldly way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. God is making it so that if we realize he has a plan to make us new in Him, where everything makes sense, through Him giving His own life, through His sacrifice for us. This life can finally make sense. There can be meaning. You can have hope. Today is a call for anyone who doesn't know that to see that you can from today. Trust in Him that he is giving hope when your life just seems like a moment of randomness, randomness. Oh, that worked out, cause and effect, randomness. He wants to give you life in Jesus. He has everything in his hands. Remember him. And if we do that, I want to finish by us taking time to be honest with ourselves. And to deal with those two things on your outline. Our control issues and our anxiety issues. And I think if we realise this, 
from Ecclesiastes, the first thing we need to do is breathe. Breathe with such relief that God is in control, not you, because you're rubbish at it. (laughs) Take that first point. Why are you trying to be in control? You're not good at it. And see that God is, and breathe. And then think about it. I think what we need to do is ask God to help us to not let us be happy with a little bit of control issues in our life or a little bit of anxiety. To continually make it a habit of saying, God, I know you're in control. I know I'm not. And I know each week I do these things that contradict that. Help me. It's time to get honest with ourselves about what's going on in our lives and that struggle that we have. To not fall into the trap of saying to ourselves, I don't really have any issues. For some of us, we're on the extreme end of the scale on these issues, I think. For some of us, we naturally like to control everything and some of us, not as much. It's a great opportunity for the relaxed, not as much people to think I don't have any issues. But you do. You just cover them well. And I think we need to think about this a bit further. See, I think it's so hard to get clarity on our desire to be in control and our anxiety when actually God's in control is that actually we need to accept the words of loved ones. We need to consider them. Because I reckon this is where we're blind often. I know I'm speaking not from just external observations, I'm speaking of my own life in that I need people sometimes, I need my wonderful wife to tell me, you know you're just being ridiculous and your anxiety is stupid. I, I need that. We need those loved ones. to. You need to be open to them telling you that without you jumping down their throat to listen to them and to consider because sometimes we find it really hard to see through the vapor and the mist we need to consider what our our kind of hot spot moments where we forget the creator and we try and take control in the randomness of life which are the harder ones for you know, i don't need fame I don't need to be fame. Actually, I run away from it, which I just, I don't want lots of people to know me. That's not an issue for me. But probably security is a bit. Dealing with death is something I've pushed down for a long time. And certainly illness comes and goes all the time right now i'm super annoyed i'm in the middle of my holidays and i hurt my knee and i can't run on it walk on it or do things properly on it and you know what i want to be doing next week right you all know you know i want to play golf and i'm not sure that i can and i'm really angry about it (laughs) that's a really stupid illustration right but it's a stupid illustration that you could extrapolate out into seriousness when illness is causing you pain all the time and it's happening to you and not to someone else and there's no difference between you get really anxious about it oh, i want to fix this and i can't get fixed and i don't know how to deal with it and i get angrier and angrier and i deal with others better and the things that i can control i even get more kind of obsessed about and nothing's getting fixed 
What are your hotspot moments? Did you have no security as a kid for whatever reason? So now you're just trying to have security in everything that you do that it's crippling to those around you. Remember your creator and remember he is the one in where security is found. Spend some time thinking about them, not just those five, whatever it is in your life, and confront them. Don't let anxiety be something that cripples you. There is no doubt that for many of us, over half of us for sure, at at least in one moment in your life will have significant anxiety issues that even are kind of uh, more clinical. It's not something to be embarrassed by. It's something to accept and to deal with it with a creator who's going to fix it all up. It doesn't mean anxiety goes away. It doesn't mean that you won't have to deal with it for the rest of your life for some of you. But you can deal with it with a creator who you can continually bring it back to. And you cannot let it be an excuse for how you deal with people and how you treat yourself as you wrestle with these really hard things. We can be prepared to deal with these. As I said, have people tell you what you struggle with. And when it comes to something like anxiety as well, it's, it's actually something that it's good to talk to, other, talk to professionals about as well. There's no shame in talking to someone about it who can actually help you. Just because it might help you be willing to do it if it's not, I've done that. And I say that because you could too. It's actually you, I think, living well and taking the wisdom of Proverbs and applying it, potentially. As we near the end, if God's in control and He's the Creator who has everything in His hands and life's random, be prepared for the big random moments of your life. I don't know what they're going to be. You don't know what they're going to be. But God has you in His hands. He's taken Himself to the cross and He wants you to rest in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we just want to trust in you with fresh eyes, remembering you are the creator, the one in control, the one who has given us life in Jesus. Don't let us... uh, uh, say that in our head and live a life of seeking control in our own life. Cut our hearts and our minds and change our actions. Help us to deal with hard things. Because we long for a time when eternity comes and the mist disappears. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.